You can take your seats. So we're uh, continuing our look at uh, Nehemiah. Uh, we're going to look this morning at Nehemiah chapter 7. If, if you've got a Bible with you and you see that, it's 73 uh, verses. And most of that is names, names we've already seen. Remember the, the list of people who came uh, with Ezra way back when, uh, uh, all the way uh, 90 years before this is actually written. And so uh, I'm not going to read that list because the early service, I went too long anyway. And so uh, just suffice it to know there's a big list there. It's a little different from the one in Ezra. If you're compulsive, spend your afternoon identifying those differences. Uh, I'm not going to do that for you <coughs> uh, 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 today. So, but we are going to look at Ezra, uh, Nehemiah 7, verses 1 to 6. Uh, but before I do that, I, you know, one of the things that uh, has been such a bummer, really a big bummer, about the last four months of uh, the COVID thing and all that kind of stuff is, uh, not seeing kids in worship. And so I want to say now, those of you, families, who uh, are here with your kids, I honor, I honor you for doing that. Uh, I know uh, it might seem challenging and uh, weird for your kids, uh, but I think the Lord will bear fruit in the lives of your families because uh, you, you brought kids uh, back into worship and um, we, here we are, and I like watching the squirmers, and uh, uh, I like watching uh, children put offering in the offering plate, and I like uh, to see families struggle to love each other in the presence of Jesus. <laughs> it's, all, it's all good, it's all good. Uh, it, uh, it encourages my heart a lot. So, uh, so we're going to uh, look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 7. Uh, verses uh, 1 to 6. Text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens uh, behind me. Uh, this is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now, when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enro enrolled by genealogy, and I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. So uh, this, this is an interesting uh, text, and uh, the, the point that uh, we need to draw from this today is what can we learn uh, about how to follow Jesus Christ today uh, from our ancestors. What can we learn about what it means to be in the kingdom of God from history? Pretty important question today, huh? One that uh, 
uh, is, is on uh, a lot of uh, people's minds, right? And so as we, as we look at that, it's important for us to ask these kinds of questions and to look at ourselves and to say, you know, what is it, what is it about what God did in, in years past with people in the past and, and how he worked in their lives, how he delivered them, what the, the things, the, the sins they did, the grievous things they did, the great things they did, how in all of that can we see uh, the kingdom of God and see the, the work of God uh, going forward, right? So this text, um, go ahead, Brian, put, put my notes up here. That this text, one of the things uh, it's supposed to have for us in many ways, today's text is intended uh, to have many of the same effects as Hebrews 11. Because what Nehemiah faces here is he looks out, the wall that he wanted to build is built. It's a beautiful wall. It has, the doors are in place, uh, the temple worship is established. Uh, he's given instruct. He's passing off leadership to his brother to be an, an, a, a friend to be to run the city, uh, and everything is set up. But the problem is they've been living there for 90 years. When they got there, the city was broken down. It was a ruin. There was it wasn't habitable. So people settled in the villages and towns outside of the city. They've been living there for 90 years. They've got this big wall that's ready to be inhabited, this big walled city, and nobody lives in it. So that's not what they, they you know, what they, they came there to do. And so, so Nehemiah is looking to the past, to the generations that came 90 years earlier, to, to, to remind them of their ancestors and their forebears who came all the way from Babylon there to Jerusalem to fulfill prophecy and to rebuild the city and to reestablish uh, Jerusalem as the very city of God. So what he's trying to do here is to cause us to look back just like uh, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to do. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. right? And so what, uh, what uh, Nehemiah, by reading this list, this genealogy of the people who 90 years before had come, He's trying to stir the people up. He's trying to get them to consider the cloud of witnesses that is around them, that, that to be encouraged to take the risk to move back into the city. Now, here's the thing to note about this. Is this list of people, the people that came 90 years before, they were not perfect, right? We know that they, uh, they intermarried, and that caused all kinds of heartburn and, and difficulties. They mixed. They weren't faithful. Uh, there were times where they were chintzy and were not very generous with their gifts uh, for the building of the temple and for the building of the wall. We also know that they, as recent as a few years before this, they were exploiting the poor. And yet, Nehemiah looks and says, God was at work in those people just as he is at work in us. They were not perfect, far from it, but God used them and we should consider what they did to move here we should consider the same thing as we prepare to move into the city. Uh, one of the things that's uh, happened in our family over the last couple of years is that between my mom and dad, there were like 17, I think, siblings, something like that. Uh, 
lots, lots and lots of kids between their two families. And what makes our family even more unique is that one of my dad's older brothers married one of my mom's older sisters. Okay, that's legal. I know sometimes people hear that and they think, can you do that? Yes, you can do that. So one of my dad's older brothers married one of my mom's uh, older sisters. And so I have cousins who we have all the same uh, grandparents, everything, right? Do you, do you understand that? But just like everybody get that, right? Uh, Sisks and Shelby's, Sisks and Shelby's, right? So uh, I, I used to think that, that was great for us because if I ever needed a kidney, I had a pretty wide, all those cousins, <laughs> you know, maybe I could get one from them. We're all old now, so they're, and they've not lived great lifestyles, so their kidneys wouldn't be of any use to me, so, certainly not their livers. So, uh, so that would be, yeah, that would, that would be, that would be a, a, a real problem. But one of the things that we, we thought about is uh, our uh, Shelby grandfather, uh, who uh, is an interesting guy, never went to school, ever. Uh, all the education he got, he, he earned $5. One time had a $5 gold piece, and he took it, and he gave it to a guy to teach him to read uh, and do a little bit of math. That's all the education he ever got. Never set foot in the school. Uh, he's, he was, I, I remember him vaguely, and I remember I didn't like him. I thought he was scary. Uh, uh, and I think rightly so. Um, my mom and her sister was married to my dad's brother. They did not like him. They never had a good word to say about him. For instance, when my dad was in the eighth grade, my grandfather left. Now, uh, my uh, grandmother had already died when my dad was five years old. So he left my dad at 14 with a 12-year-old little sister, and a 9-year-old little brother to take care of. He left. He went to California. They lived in East Tennessee. He left to go to California to pick grapes. So he left my dad to take care of a little brother and a little sister. He also left 40 head of cattle for my dad to take care of on a 120-acre farm with no fence. So my dad failed the eighth grade. And, you know, this is a different time and age. You know, I, you would put my grandfather in jail now. This was, you know, and back in... So anyway, in our family, there's a dispute about that. So my mom and my aunt, they were like, what a jerk, Mr. Shelby, because that's what they called him, Mr. Shelby was. You ask my dad and my uncle about that, and they would say he did the best he could, right? Because in some reason, some, one, one of the reasons why he went to California to pick grapes is because he could make a little money, right? So it's mixed. It's complicated. Uh, it's, it's a hard story, right? So, so the fact is, when it, whenever we think about... Uh, our ancestors, whenever we think about our history, that's one of the things that we have to, to take about that is, is that, uh, you know, the, these, these people, they were sinners, and they had good days, and they had bad days. They did good things, and they did horrid things, right? And so, as you, as you think about that, it, as, as we look back into the past, 
There's, there's a way that we can do that and a way that we can, can look at the people who came before us and kind of understand that and understand a bit about ourselves and be motivated in the life and the time in which we live now to be pressed further and further into the image of Christ. And so what Nehemiah thinks here is he wants to pull out the old archives and he wants to gather the heads of the families together and remind them, look, you are a part of a stream of the work of God. You are part of a a group of people. You belong to the children. You're the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God has been at work in you for all of these centuries, millennia, and he has a plan, and he is leading you to do that. And part of what we need to do right now in response to that is remember how God was faithful, remember how God used these people in the past, brought them here all the way from Babylon, and now it's time for us to occupy the city, right? So it's important, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a way that he can remind the people of the faithfulness of God and the way in which God had worked uh, through uh, their ancestors to move them to occupy the city. So, next slide. Um, so it's important, as we think about the scriptures, to, to see how the scripture teaches us to view our past. To look at how the scripture teaches us about how we understand how we got where we are. And to have a sober understanding, a realistic understanding of uh, uh, the the people who came before us. And ultimately, as the writer to Hebrews says, to see this cloud of witnesses as pointing us to even something beyond themselves, right? So one of the ways the Bible teaches us to look back is, and, and, and encourages us is it gives us negative examples. Like, remember these people, don't be like them, okay? Uh, that's, that's, that's a great place for us to begin. And I, I love Psalm 95. We sing this, right? Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. This sounds like a really positive psalm, doesn't it? This gets you motivated. Yeah, let's do it. I was watching the Wilcoxes worship, and they make a joyful noise, and they move to the music. It's awesome. Uh, I, I wish I could, I hope you people at home are moving to the music too. It's really, it's really awesome. It's, it's really, you know, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise then with songs of praise. For the Lord's a great God and a great king above all gods. This sounds like, wow, I could get fired up about this. This God that we've come to worship, he's awesome, right? In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And by his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Woo! That Praise the Lord, right? And then suddenly the psalm writer says, takes a hard left turn and says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. Remember, the people had come out, they had seen the ten plagues, they had seen the Red Sea split open, they had seen the dead bodies of, their, uh, the, of the Egyptians laying there on the shore, they had seen the great provision of God, they get out there, they get a little hot, they get a little thirsty, they get a little hungry, and they're like, this, this freedom business, this being the people of God business stinks, we liked it better when we were slaves in Egypt and we ate leeks and onions. 
So don't harden your hearts as at Mirabai, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation. You don't ever want God to say that about your generation. <laughs> you don't want that. Negative example. Don't be these people, right? I loathe that generation and said, they are people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And that's the end of the song. Right? Uh, it's very abrupt. It's a psalm of great praise and of great warning because when we see the magnificence of God, his grace, his mercy, his power on display for us, and we decide we want our own way or we want the old way or we want something other than that, God doesn't take very kindly to that. And so the psalm writer here is reminding us as, as, we, as we think about this is that um, we don't want to be like these folks who ended up having to wait 40 years, 40 years for a new generation to rise and to be able to go uh, seize the land of promise. Also in Scripture, there are mixed examples where we look at people and we say, they did great things, God did great things through them, they did horrible things, right? By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, this is from Hebrews 11, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. Now, it's interesting. In the list of the faithful there, there's a gap of 40 years between verse 29 and verse 30, the 40 years I just mentioned. And it's a subtle thing, but it tells us that, uh, uh, well, yeah, it tells us a lot. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. God had a mission there, right? Not only to bring the people across the Jericho uh, River and, and not only to establish them in the land, but God had a mission to save a prostitute named Rahab. Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time shall fail me to tell of Gideon. Remember Gideon? Hiding in the threshing floor because the Midianites are scaring him. Remember he's the one who said... He wouldn't believe the angel of the Lord unless the, you know, the strange thing with the fleece and all of that stuff, right? Remember Barak? He was uh, a general, but he was so fearful and timid uh, that actually two women, Deborah, the judge, and Jael, the tent peg lady, are the ones who uh, uh, actually took the glory from that battlefield. Samson, a man for... Our day, musclehead, pleasure seeker, right? Um, we, if, if you raise boys, do you want to raise a Samson? I don't think so, right? He had one good day at the end of his life, I guess. Mixed, mixed there. Jephthah, we know he did that crazy vow. David, yeah. Samuel, you know, we think of him as a great guy, but one of the damning things about Samuel is that uh, he was a terrible father. His sons were indulged and were not able to succeed him. Right? 
Nevertheless, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Right? So we're to look back at these people and remember the faithfulness that they exhibited as God worked and led and through them. But none of them were perfect. None of them deserve to be on a pedestal. Not a one. We should look back at them. We should, be, we should learn from their example. The things that they did that were praiseworthy, we should take note of. The things that they did that were not praiseworthy, we should take note of. But here's the thing. All of that history, all of those people... What is it about them that we were, are, are intended to learn? Well, the writer to Hebrews tells us that we had this great cloud of witnesses, but the point is not the great cloud of witnesses. The point is not Samson. The point is not Barak. The, the, the point is not Rahab. The point of the witness is to something other than themselves. Looking to Jesus, the only pure example the founder and perfecter of our faith. You see, as we, as we think about this, this is, this is the thing that has to motivate us. And this is the thing that, that runs straight through Scripture. The reason why the Bible is believable is because it presents to us an accurate picture, not just of God, not just of the gospel, but of people. Uh, our family... Um, is very proud of our heritage of uh, uh, a, a number of our ancestors, a number of Shelby's were uh, soldiers, even officers uh, in um, the Continental Army during uh, the Revolutionary War. You can go to the battlefield of Kings Mountain and see Shelby's listed there as, as heroes of that. In fact, there were three Shelby's there. Uh, Two sons, Isaac and Evan, uh, and one father, Evan Sr. Uh, they were at the battle. They were leaders in the battle. Uh, they were even victorious. They were, their strategy is what won the day. Uh, in my family, when we go there, uh, there's the uh, colonel of the, the British forces. His name was Ferguson. It's a tradition in our family that when we would go by his grave, we throw a rock on it. Still do that. When my boys were little, we, we went and we did that. Great victory. Great, great thing. The, the part of the story that we don't talk about is that they captured a great number of these militiamen, and they knew some of them, and they were going to take them back to Hillsborough, North Carolina, where the, the big camp of the Continental Army was, because they had these prisoners. Except that in our family, a fight broke out between the two boys, Isaac and Evan, about what to do with the prisoners, because one of them wanted to kill them all. 
and the other one wanted to take them back as prisoners. It got so bad that they almost killed each other. This is back in the day where you could duel. Gentlemen did that. That's how they settled disputes. They were going to kill each. They were willing to kill each other over this. That did, you know, yeah. That we're uh, uh, it's a weird thing in our family that you know we we're still like that in many ways. So, um, what a terrible blot on our family, especially if um, we had been <laughs> we. We would have been guilty of war crimes. So when you think about these things, and you think about the past, and you think about your own past, or you, what is it that we need to learn from that? Well, here's what you need to learn. Anytime you consider the past, you consider someone from the past, the first and foremost Christian doctrine that needs to be in your head is the depravity of man. G.K. Chesterton, the great Christian apologist, said uh, that uh, depravity is the only provable doctrine in the sense that you can see it worked out in time and in space. We know, one of the reasons why I know the Bible is true is because it paints an accurate picture of human nature. Now, we don't like to talk about that. We don't like to hear about that. And we, we would like to kind of shape the narrative around uh, uh, very glowing, very positive views of the past. The problem with that is not, not just because it's historically inaccurate, because because there's always been sin. There's always been sin at work uh, in, in, in people's lives. We border on robbing God of his glory. Because there's only one truly righteous one. The author and perfecter of our faith. Because only one bore the cross, scorning the shame, right? To redeem us. And so as we, as we think about that, as we consider our history, yes, there are things we need to learn that there could be things that we might mimic and things that we certainly would avoid. But there's only one hero, only one founder, one perfecter, one completer of our faith, and it's Jesus Christ. He's the only one that ultimately should be put on a pedestal. Because the rest of us, right, are broken, the rest of us uh, are mixed at best. Uh, the rest of us uh, um, can't save, can't redeem anyone. So look to Jesus, only Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you today, we thank you for uh, your grace, your mercy, and your love. Help us as your people to be instructed by what we see in the past. Help us to learn from those who went before us. Uh, help us to be encouraged uh, as Nehemiah wanted uh, this gener his generation to be encouraged by the generation from 90 years before. But help us too, Lord, to have a sober understanding 
a humble understanding and recognition that we are all sinners, we are all broken, and we all bear the depravity that our original sin carries in our hearts and lives. We are the children of Adam and Eve. Help us to remember that and help us at the same time to be so grateful for the redemption that is ours in the author and perfecter, the perfect one, Jesus Christ. Help us today, Lord, to see him. And as we consider our history and consider our past, to look for Jesus there. To look to him. To seek him. To have these witnesses bear witness to something other than themselves. Lord, we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, let's confess our sins together by using this prayer of confession uh, that's printed uh, in the bulletin. Would you pray with me? O oh Lord, no day, day of our, our lives passes, passes that, does that does not prove us guilty in your sight. sight. Our best services are filthy rags. All things in us call for our rejection. However, all things in Christ plead our acceptance. Grant us to hear your voice, assuring us that by your stripes we are healed, that you were bruised for our iniquities, that you became sin for us, that we might be robed in your righteousness, and our names written in heaven. Grant that we might walk in newness of life as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Believers, hear these words of encouragement. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast.